And welcome, everyone, to our Sunday edition of BAMS Radio. We are back in our usual uh, time slot and the usual day of recording as Alabama football uh, gets a resounding 63-3 to win over the Kentucky Wildcats. A sluggish first quarter for Alabama, really a sluggish quarter and a half. They were, you know, being uh, outgained in the first quarter, 121-79. to Of course, they went on to shut Kentucky down to 58 yards total offense from that point forward. But also, Kentucky was dominating the time of possession. Alabama, in the, in the second quarter at one point, only had six minutes of possession time. But they got hot. They ended up going into halftime with a 28-3 lead. A pick six from Jordan Battle really salted it away uh, that, uh, that staked Alabama to a 35-3 lead. We ended up seeing a lot of young players play in the second half which I think excited a lot of people, especially Jason McClellan and Roy Dell Williams, who I've always been very, very high on. Uh, and we saw a lot of young offensive linemen. I know William Redfish Barger will enjoy talking about. But uh, we are going to be uh, uh, discussing Kentucky and then looking ahead to the Iron Bowl. Coming out today, Alabama, a stunning 24-point favorite, 23.5, 24 points, the largest spread since it being 34 during uh, the hapless 2012 season of 3-9 and nine for Auburn in Gene Chizik's final season on the Plains. But as usual, the usual suspects, Thomas the Wizard Watts, uh, the wizard behind the curtain, the producer from the port city of Mobile, outstanding analyst with us tonight, and also William Redfish Barger from 89 to 93, a member of the Crimson Tide and a national champion. But uh, to get things started, William, uh, not a great beginning. I wasn't surprised Alabama struggled early, though. That three-week layoff, I think, had uh, Alabama flat and a little bit out of sync. Yeah, I mean, I think probably more than anything, they looked flat on the defensive side of the football. Um, you know, to me, it looked a little bit more like some timing issues and some, you know, misexecution on offense. But, you know, Kentucky had that Alabama defense on their heels in the first quarter and um, I was just kind of sitting there scratching my head when, you know, the announcers in the booth for the SEC network can sit there and tell you what's fixing to come, um, you know, with unbalanced formations and bunch formations. And um, for some reason, the, the memo never got to the Alabama defensive coaching staff. But, um, you know, I, I'm kind of like you, Drew. I, I really enjoyed getting to see all the young players play. Um you know, you got to see, you know, Mac Jones go out there and pad his stats a little bit. Najee Harris, Devonta Smith got the the uh, the, the record-breaking performance. Um, so, you know, I think it nope, nope, didn't seem to be any serious injuries. Um, but, you know, certainly that was a unique dynamic yesterday with, with Alabama going into that game after a three-week layoff. Um, and, you know, I think the, the SEC Network did a pretty good job of, you know, trying to educate the viewers on how Coach Saban handled the, you know, the, the, the three-week layoff and stuff. And, you know, at this point in the season, especially when you're playing a conference-only schedule, you've got to kind of be, you know, cognizant of, of the wear and tear on the player's body, but also trying to keep them, you know, at game speed and at a game level of, of execution. And so that's a, that's a delicate balance there, but – um, you know, lots of good things to talk about. I think there's some, you know, still some head-scratching moments um, that we can get into as well. But um, it's just kind of hard to believe after, you know, a three-week absence um, of Alabama football, you get the, you know, the Kentucky game last night, and then all of a sudden we're sitting here and, you know, um, we're, 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 what, six days away from the Iron Bowl. It's just kind of hard to believe. It really is. It doesn't feel like Iron Bowl week coming up, uh, but it certainly is. And uh, it'll be a big game as the Auburn Tigers got out gained, but they uh, still find a way to impressively defeat the Tennessee Volunteers. They gave up a lot of yards. They bent but didn't break. And then smoke Monday with a 100-yard interception return as Gary Jared Garantano continues to frustrate the Tennessee fan base. Jeremy Pruitt's team now five straight losses as they will head into Nashville against Vanderbilt 
as he is fighting for his job in year three in Knoxville uh, as they have uh, gone backwards, uh, no doubt about it. But Auburn wins. And without Tank Bigsby, Tank Bigsby gets banged up, looks like a hip pointer. We'll see what his availability will be for the Iron Bowl. I'm sure they will give him a lot of rehab. They've got to have Tank Bigsby against Alabama. Tank, I think, is the best freshman running back in the SEC, and he will be a chore for that Alabama front seven to stop. No doubt about that. They're going to need more than a zero stat line out of the Butkus Award candidate, Dylan Moses, uh, who did not have his best game in Crimson, but certainly I, we saw a lot out of Christian Harris, 11 tackles in a sack. thing about Christian Harris, he might miss some tackles over pursue, but, uh, you know, I, he, he, he continues to play hard every down, and, and he's usually in the vicinity of the football, uh, and he's still developing as a linebacker, but I, I thought he played one of his better games yesterday. And after a rough beginning, Jordan battled with the pick six, and we saw a lot, I think, of progress out of the secondary. Of course, this is a Kentucky passing attack. It's not very good. Let's understand that. Uh, Auburn is going to be a, a much better attack, though I still don't think Bo Nix is playing at that high level. I think he's a good player, but I don't think it's going to be the best that Alabama has seen all year. But you got to give a lot of credit uh, to Alabama for the way they played, especially those final three quarters. And as well, as a uh, William said, you know, not the biggest stat line from Mac Jones, 16 to 24, 230 yards, two touchdowns. He did get the one interception where it looked like, uh, you know, he was he got a little greedy with the deep ball to the uh, un, the uh, All-American Devontae Smith. But you have to understand, too, Mac Jones, this is still – he's still learning as he goes. Uh, this is his first full year as a starter. He still doesn't even have 10 starts under his belt. So uh, everything is going to be a learning experience for him as well and still played, you know, really good football overall and really has been consistent all year, no question about it. And Alabama's offensive line continues uh, to play well. And i got to give Kentucky secondary credit, especially Kelvin Joseph. I don't know how the hell, I guess that shows the dysfunction at LSU, that they can let that guy get away and transfer to Kentucky because he's a damn good corner. Anybody that can cover Devontae Smith like he did at times, you got to give a lot of credit. So, uh, But uh, I still think overall I'd give it an A performance for Alabama uh, in all three phases. The only small negative, we saw Slade Bolden get injured, uh, and Devontae Smith had to go back there and catch punts. Almost broke one. Shouldn't shock anybody when it comes to Devontae. But uh, now we will see Slade Bolden's availability for the Auburn game. I think it was more of a precaution that they held him out. And so I think we'll see him back against the Tigers. But, uh, William, uh, your thoughts overall on the offensive performance? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't even realize that Devonta Smith was an option in the kick return game huh. at this stage. But right. um, I, I, I certainly don't think he's a bad option. Um, no, sir. No, no, I, 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 I think the offense, um, you know, just from talking to, you know, some friends of mine that, that did pull for, you know, different programs besides Alabama, and, you know, they all have the same uh, bammer fatigue that I like to call it. You know, they're like, y'all's games just aren't even fun to watch. Um, you know, everybody gets, you know, 45-plus points scored on them and stuff, and um, you know, y'all need to, you know, y'all need to learn to share the riches. And, uh, I was like, well, you know, when you're, um, don't, don't really have a, a you know, a normal Alabama defense, you got to outscore everybody. Certainly that was a little bit easier yesterday than a normal Saturday. But, um, you know, as far as, you know, the Auburn game goes, Drew, I agree a lot with what you said, um, you know, I, I think Bo Nix has certainly improved and better than he was in September. But, you know, that, that offense is, I think, limited by their offensive line. You know, you saw, um, you know, Tennessee kind of, um, you know, be able to impose their will at times there. And, um, you know, when when they don't have bigs be available, and I think you're probably right, there's probably going to be a – Brink's truck full of Toradol backed up to the Auburn football complex today um, to try and get Bigsby healthy, although a hip pointer is a very difficult um, injury to get to heal quickly. But, uh, 
you know, I, I think you'll get, you'll see a much different, you know, execution level and enthusiasm level out of, out of Alabama versus uh, Auburn this coming Saturday. Then you say, you know, this, this Kentucky team, um, you know, that came to Bryant Denny yesterday, you know, I think they were kind of, you know, limping in on one leg. I mean, they had high expectations. Um, you know, they, they've had some unfortunate circumstances, you know, with the death of their offensive line coach, um, you know, player injuries, you know, some COVID issues um, that I think have kind of, you know, derailed their season a little bit. But, um, you know, that wasn't the same Kentucky team yesterday that you saw basically, I think, take Auburn in, in the first game of the season, the distance, um, before they finally succumbed and lost. But, um, you know, Again, I, I don't necessarily think that anybody should be too concerned about Slade Bolden's availability. I think, you know, there's some young wide receivers um, that could, could get showcased if he's not 100%. And I certainly won't lose any sleep or complain about seeing number six back there fielding punts if that's what we have to look forward to versus Auburn. Yeah, and speaking of number six, William, he's now the all-time SEC leader and, of course, the University of Alabama following, uh, following two more touchdowns uh, uh, receptions. One, a laser beam in the back of the end zone from, uh, uh, from Mac Jones. And then uh, an unbelievable throw from uh, the young player Bryce Young uh, across his body. But uh, Devontae Smith, nine catches, 144 yards, that long punt return. Uh, just an unbelievable career for him, William. And to think the all-time leader – there's been some great players in this league as wide receivers uh, it, throughout the, all the institutions and especially under Nick Saban at Alabama, but an incomparable career so far for Devontae Smith. Well, and I think the thing that jumps off the page to me, Drew, is, you know, I think if you're realistic about it, at best up until the 2020 season, he was probably the third you know, option or read in, in, in a lot of, you know, Tua Tungavailoa's progressions, yeah. um, you know, up until this year when you, when you factor in Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, um, you know, the two previous seasons. So that's just an amazing production level. Um, you know, we've talked about the body control and, you know, obviously he's got great hands. He's not the biggest guy on, that you're going to see on an SEC football field at the wide receiver position, but, just freaky body control, I think sneaky speed. Um, but yeah, he's been a great, great player for Alabama in, in a in a you know very short time frame. Yeah, he has already over nine hundred receiving yards as a senior. Uh, I think he should be the, the leader in the clubhouse for the Bolitnikoff Award. Uh, I know he didn't make the finals last year after his outstanding junior season, which I thought was a joke. Uh, even though there was three, you know, outstanding finalists. Uh, but still, I think he was every bit as good. He just had to share the football uh, uh, quite a bit as, uh, of course, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, all those guys at LSU and his teammates you know, at Alabama, especially Jamar Chase. Jamar was outstanding, but I think Devontae Smith was every bit as effective and, of course, torched LSU and Derek Stingley. We know that. Uh, but, but right now, Alabama getting ready for Auburn. Uh, but to, to go back and take a look, though, uh, and I, William, I was going to ask you, uh, the one thing that I, I made the statement and I had, I just had a gut feeling going into the game that, uh, you know, I, I, I told everyone that everyone was waiting to see if a fourth receiver would emerge. The fourth receiver being a Javon Baker, a, a, a Trey Sean Holden or a Ty U Jones bell. But I'll say this, I mentioned in, of course, Miller Forstall was held out, had a shoulder, had an ankle, uh, but, but that it could end up being a tight end. Now they threw to Carl Tucker. He, he yeah, uh, it looked like a drop, even though it was tight coverage. But the guy that I was intrigued by, and he ended up having a breakout. I've always been intrigued by Jaleel Billingsley and his talent. I made this statement. I think he's almost as talented as Arik Gilbert. He just wasn't, you know, as advanced as Arik coming out of high school. Had some maturing to do. But if he matured, you know, it could be a conversation. And I think you're starting to see. Jaleel Billingsley assert himself three catches for 78 yards, William. He could be a dangerous weapon uh, down the stretch for Alabama. You know, Drew, I'm going to take the, the opposite side of the coin. I, I think the kid's probably 
had that same ability since he stepped on campus. Right. He just hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities and a, and a lot of, you know, attempts at touches. Um, you know, I, I got into a conversation um, with, a, with a former teammate of mine probably a month, month and a half ago, and he was bitching and complaining about, you know, not having a tight end that could run seam routes, which us old codgers, you know, we call those pop passes. Um, but, you know, running running shallow drags that can end up, you know, turning into big plays. I, I think the ability has always been there. There again, you know, it kind of goes back to, um, you know, when, when you know, Nick Saban called Lane Kiffin into his office and, uh, you know, he said he would figure out a way to get Amari Cooper, Derrick Henry, and, Hell, I can't remember the third one. Maybe O.J. Howard, all 100 touches in one season. No. Well, that, that's impossible. Right. You, know, you, can't, you can't do that. But, you know, it, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, you sit there and, um, you know, look, look at what Steve Sarkeesian is tasked with. You know, I'm not saying that there's a, you know, those three guys on this team. But, you know, when you see what they did, you know, two years ago with Irv Smith, um, you know, it's probably O.J. Howard certainly had the, uh, you know, the ability as well. But um, I, I think that's the, the the next way to kind of uncork the – not that it needs to be uncorked, but the, the, the last genie in the bottle, so to speak, with this Alabama offense, if Steve Sarkeesian could figure out a way to maybe get Billingsley five touches a game, um, you know, throughout the rest of the season – uh, you know, into the the playoffs and and beyond. Um, that that that's a nightmare matchup for linebackers and, and safeties. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, uh, the, and and I and I think they've done a good job of getting Najee Harris involved in the passing game. He's got over 200 receiving yards himself, almost 800 rushing yards. So he's already over a thousand all-purpose yards. The All-American Najee Harris, who I think is the best running back in college football. Uh, what a beautiful run on that unbalanced line, William, for the explosive touchdown. I still say Najee looks like he's quicker and faster this year. Uh, he ran away from the Kentucky defense there. Two more touchdowns for him. He's got 16 on the season. Uh, but uh, uh, like I said, uh, I, I still a good performance. I, I thought we'd see more of Brian Robinson. He did get six carries. But I've got to get your thoughts. Uh, on the two young running backs, Jace McClellan and Roy Dell Williams, I thought they looked outstanding. Absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of people, um, you know, were upset that they didn't get more touches, um, you know, in the previous game. And um, I said, well, just wait. They'll, they'll get plenty of touches versus Kentucky. And they did. And, I mean, McClellan, I think, made a, made a statement. Um, and, you know, he's a kid that I, I really – wasn't all that excited about, you know, when he, uh, when he signed with Alabama last year. Um, you know, I just kind of thought he was, you know, more of an old-school, prototypical I-formation running back that you run slant plays and toss plays with and stuff. But um, he, he showed an extra gear to me, um, you know. And I, and I think that's the, you know, kind of the attitude that, I've got about the 2020 Alabama coaching staff, you know, on the offensive side of the football, I mean, you know, when you, when you factor in and improve Najee Harris, obviously Devonta Smith's been this good for three years, but you know, when you look at those wide, those other wide receivers, you know, I'm, I'm subtracting Jalen Waddle out of the deal because you and I could coach him. Uh, but, you know, the, the offensive line's gotten better. Every aspect of that offense um, has, has been functioning at a high level from, from day one. Um, on the other side of the football, uh, you know, look, we, we, can, we can put uh, um, Najee Harris and uh, uh, Devonta Smith, you, you can pencil them in as, as being – you know, in the finalists for, for the best running back and the best wide receiver in college football, you might as well take your pencil eraser and scratch Dylan Moses, um, you know, for, from the linebacker award. I mean, you're not, you, you can't be, um, you know, the, the Dick Butkus finalist and, and scratch 
um, especially versus a team like Kentucky. And, and that's my biggest complaint. You know, you sit there and you look at the stat line. Yeah, they only gave up three points. Um, but, you, you you know, is Will Anderson any better now than he was in the first game of the year? Um, you, it's, it's no different than last year. Byron Young, Justin Abogey, um you know, the guy that's the best, most improved player, and you got to see more of Timmy Smith yesterday as well, but the guy in the front seven that's the most improved player on that Alabama defense is Fedarian Mathis, and he's, a, I think, a third-year junior. Yeah, that's um, right. You know, he, he's really coming on. Um, but it was good to see more of Timmy Smith. I mean, after another year in that strength and conditioning program, that guy's going to be an animal. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't see um, development and progression on the defensive side of the football. I mean, that was a hapless offense, um, you know, that you saw out of Kentucky yesterday. And, yeah, if you look at the final score and at the end of the day, that is all that matters. But, you know, I'm looking for development and somebody getting better at their craft. Will Anderson isn't better. He's no better than he was in the first game. Um, you know, it's just frustrating to watch. Um, you know, after our conversation off the air, um, you know, Phil Fulmer fired Jeremy Pruitt, and and I'll uh, I got a buddy of mine um, that's got a private jet that I'll send up there to Knoxville, uh, buy him out, give him his twenty, give him his twenty million dollars, and I'll pay for the jet fuel to send the plane up there to bring him back to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, but I, I do think, uh, you know, that uh, defensively, uh, they they did bend early but didn't break. I thought they played better after the first three quarters. Pete Golding was even uh, – he wasn't quoted because he doesn't speak to the media, but the buzz was from people that I trust that they were telling people they were going to kind of get a feel for what Kentucky was doing in the first quarter and then adjust. I do think that they've adjusted at halftime of the game, and that's more Nick Saban. Nick Saban is still, you know, to me, the de facto defensive coordinator. And they have adjusted at halftime and, and played much better against some teams. But the pass rush is a concern. I mean, they don't have many sacks this year. I think they got a couple yesterday. Uh, but, again, and one of them being from Christian Harris. Uh, but they, they do need to, you know, and, and Will Anderson still doesn't have a sack. I think he's leading the SEC in pressures, but he doesn't have a sack, so which is a little bit of a surprising stat. Uh, but, uh, but like, and then, but I will say Chris Allen got another one. I still think he's had a pretty good steady as he goes year. Matter of fact, I think he's leading the team in sacks, which isn't many, maybe three or four, uh, right now. But again, I think Alabama, the secondary, I thought took some steps forward. Job had a dumb penalty, but it, look, he's still played much, much better this year. We've seen Sertain, uh, Sertain has played at a very high level. Uh, I still thought Malachi Moore was solid yesterday. And I'm liking that we're seeing more DeMarco Helms. He brings a physicality back there, I think, uh, at the strong safety spot. And then Jordan Battle, he's been a little up and down. But, again, I thought he had one pick six and nearly had another. So, I thought he played a pretty good football game. But, again, this was a this was pretty much the exact opposite of what they faced against Mississippi State was this Kentucky Elementary passing game, just a, a solid rushing attack that Alabama shut down really over the last two and a half quarters. So on to Auburn now. And uh, so I guess we're going to see, you know, uh, what, what the Tigers have in store. But, William, I'll be honest, I know Auburn won the game yesterday against Tennessee, but I, I wasn't impressed with what I saw from the Tigers. No, I mean, I think they got, you know, a little bit of a bad, you know, Blow when they lost Bigsby early on. Um, I think that you know that they've got a you know kind of a stable behind him of of you know kind of scat backs. There's not a guy that you really want running the ball between the tackles you know 15 to 20 times a game other than him. But you know it's just you know I I, I think I think Bo Nix is better than he was in September. But um, you know that is a pretty simplistic passing game that they do have. I think it's predicated on big plays. Um, you know, it's obvious that that defense, you know, isn't what it was the last couple of years. So, you know, I'm sure we're probably going to get Auburn's best game. 
Um, you know, Thomas and I were talking before you jumped on. I mean, I don't know with just 25,000 fans allowed in the stadium, how much of a home field advantage is going to be for Alabama, but I really don't think it's going to matter. Right. And I'm going to bring Thomas into the conversation. Thomas, we've kind of been breaking down the Kentucky game. First, offensively, what did you like about the performance against Kentucky? Well, the offense. So a lot of people are dogging Mac Jones because he wasn't throwing bombs this time. But that's by design for Kentucky. Kentucky wants to play zone and keep everything in front of them. And what that makes in a, a, an offensive team such as Alabama makes them drive the length of the field. They're not going to be able to blow the top off that defense very easily. So that, you know, we saw that. But at the same time, Alabama still was in total control of that game. After, the first, after a shaky first 15 minutes on both sides of the ball, really. And, you know, I, I can't be upset about that. I think the notion that this offense is going to sputter is ridiculous. And Kentucky's defense, while not awesomely elite, stu- stupendiferously awesome, is a solid unit. It's it's it that was the thing that gave me the most pause. And going back to what I said last week, it's going to be like a, a, a tide coming in against a sandcastle. It'll stand up, it'll stand up, it'll stand up. And then one of the walls will fall in and it'll turn into a sand lump as opposed to a sandcastle. That's what happened. And then as the game continued to get out of control, I think the thing that I was most impressed with was that the second team offense came in and whether it was Bryce Young playing with some of the ones with his touchdown pass or really Roy Dell Williams and Jason McClellan having consistent success behind the second team offensive line. I mean, that while it doesn't really help Alabama win a national championship this year, you have to feel pretty happy about happy as an Alabama fan that when Najee Harris moves on to the NFL, the stable of backs and this offensive line group is still going to have a lot of really solid bodies. And, and you know, that, that's kind of my big takeaway, Drew. Yeah, no doubt. And then defensively, you know, it, it was a good performance. You have to say that. I mean, when you shut a team down like that for three quarters. But, again, as William and I have discussed, uh, the lack of productivity from Dylan Moses is disturbing. He did not record a stat. We talked about Christian Harris playing well, 11 tackles and a sack. Uh, Chris Allen had another sack. I think he was very solid. But we haven't seen a sack yet out of Will Anderson, but we've seen a lot of pressures. Uh, we saw Daniel Wright, but a little less of him, which was probably a good thing, considering that I think it means guys like DeMarco Helms are getting more comfortable back there with what Alabama's trying to do. And then we didn't see as much of Brian Branch until we saw the young players. But what did you think of the performance defensively? Because I know – you, along along with what William and I have said, we've, we've all been critical of Pete Golding in this defense at times. Well, so Pete is what Pete is at this point. And I think it comes down to how you choose to interpret the game. And if you want to focus on the first quarter where I think the defensive game plan was kind of – was it kind of – it wasn't well-defined – and so Kentucky had success. It's not like they did stuff that is new, different, and interesting. You know, a bunch of shifts and motions. Well, uh, okay, I don't know how you're not prepared for that, but if for whatever reason you weren't. And what's so crazy about it to me is after they do it for a quarter, Alabama's defense adjusts, and it's just total domination. And so for me, I think the defensive staff and the players deserve credit for being able to adjust on the fly. I just remain puzzled as to why folks didn't know this was what was going to happen. But, you know, overall, it's hard for me to get that upset about any defensive performance where essentially 180 yards were given up in this era of college football. Yes, Kentucky was playing down a bunch of guys, but 
that's a good that's a good performance. I, I, overall, am I going to expect this defense to get a stop with Alabama down three in the fourth quarter against a Clemson and Ohio State or a Notre Dame? Frankly, I'm not. I'm going to hope, but I don't think it's a fair expectation given what we've seen on the football field. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I don't think that Alabama is going to be in that position because the offense continues to put up such good, efficient numbers against all manner of defenses. So I'm not really – I'm not upset about it. To me, it kind of – it is what it is with the defense. I think they're getting better, but I'm not sure that they're – I'm not sure the ceiling is that much higher for this defensive group given some of the deficiencies, uh, either personnel or scheme or coach-wise, Drew. Well, and I was going to go back to William. We both already talked about how good the running backs look, the young ones, Jace McClellan uh, and Roy Dell Williams. They looked good, though, because the second-team offensive line performed well, in the, especially in the fourth quarter. William, I thought it was interesting. Darian Dalcourt, uh, you know, and along with, uh, you know, uh, Stephon Wynn, there was a handful of guys uh, that we did not see yesterday. Uh, they did not dress. Pierce Quick. Some of that may have been COVID-related. I believe it was. But they didn't have all the guys. But the young offensive lineman that we did see, Seth McLaughlin at center from Buford, Georgia, uh, number 56. We saw Amari Kite, number 78, at the offensive tackle position. We saw J.B. and Cohen, number 57. I, I was really impressed with some of those young offensive linemen. No, I was as well. And, and I think that's uh... – you know, kind of over the last two seasons, um, you know, something that, that really hasn't been discussed a lot is, is just how good of an addition Kyle Flood um, you know, has been to this Alabama football program. I think he's really done a good job, um, you know, developing players, um, you know, especially when they get an opportunity like they did yesterday to play them, um, you know, not just, you know, one or two guys, but bringing the whole second team in. And he does seem to like to do it, you know, kind of in a platoon fashion where you bring a couple guys in on one side and leave some of the starters. Um, you know, that, that helps the, the continuity and the, and the communication a little bit. But, um, you know, it, one of the things that um, I, I guess, you know, hit me early on in the college football season and yesterday it just really – um, struck a chord with me is, you know, watching, um, you know, during TV timeouts, how much the, the, you know, the coaches who are wearing masks, you know, going back to the COVID situation, you know, seem to struggle with communicating with the officials, you know, communicating with players. And I'm like, so you think it's a good idea to have the coaches on the sidelines who's getting tested just as often as the players are, wearing masks, but you look out there on the field and maybe uh, two guys on each side of the ball have face shields on and the rest of them are just out there blowing snot and spit all over each other. Um, It it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, But, you know, I I think that that's the difference – um, and you you might see it a little bit at Clemson. You might see it a little bit at o- in Ohio State. Um, but, but that, to me, is what has always made, uh, you know, Nick Saban's program at Alabama a step above everybody else is the de- development of the young guys. It's, it's, you know, I know it's a pitch that they make during recruiting, but, you know, he proves it year in and year out. If you're ready to play, whether you're a starter or, um, you know, a third-team guy, um, if you're ready to play, he's going to put you out there on the field and let you prove it. Yeah, he really will. And uh, they and they, and I think that was beneficial to the team to get so many young guys in the game uh, to play and still be productive. I mean, that's the key. And uh, you know, they were able to uh, salt the game away. We did. We and both of the completions from uh, Bryce Young were dimes. Uh, that first deep ball that he threw to Devontae Smith along the sidelines was a beautiful throw. Uh, and then the touchdown uh, really made me jump out of my seat. It was an unbelievable throw, uh, no doubt about it. But uh, uh, now they're on to the Auburn Tigers. We've already talked about how Auburn wasn't that impressive. 
I wanted to bring Thomas into the conversation. Thomas, this is once again an Auburn team that's a bend but don't break defensively. Uh, you know, they, uh, they, but they did get the 100 yard interception return, much like they did a year ago uh, against Alabama. This time it was by Smoke Monday, but they gave up nearly 500 yards to a pedestrian Kentucky uh, offense. I mean, excuse me, uh, Tennessee offense, pardon me. And, uh, and then we saw Eric Gray go for 170 yards. To me, that doesn't portend a lot of success against Najee Harris. But your thoughts on the matchup with Auburn? So, I think Auburn Auburn was ranked 22 in the AP poll this, this most recent go-around. And we'll see where they're ranked with the first college football playoff rankings coming out on Tuesday. But that team probably should be under 500. If you look at their games, they should have lost against Ole Miss. There was that there was that fumble that was not a fumble, which is a fumble, which is not a fumble situation. I don't even know how else to put it. Then they should have lost against Arkansas. There was the the reverse fumble spike thing that there was a clear recovery, but there wasn't a clear recovery. And then in two of their wins that were more decisive in Kentucky and Tennessee, Auburn was decisively outgained by the opposing offense. Now, Auburn deserves credit for being opportunistic and making the most of when they get the ball, get a turnover, get a whatever. But that's not really a formula for consistent success where refs miss calls or you get a lucky break or you get a big turnover while the other offense is moving up and down the field. The Auburn defense has seen absolutely nothing like the Alabama offense this season. And it just doesn't – I think this game has four or five touchdown blowout written all over it. I know it's a rivalry game, throw out the spreads, you know, blah, 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 all of that. But this Auburn football team is not very good. The offensive line is mediocre at best, and we're in the middle of the, the Auburn downswing. Auburn historically does great one year behind a veteran offensive line. All those guys graduate, and they're terrible for the next two and a half to three years as they develop a new offensive line. Well, Auburn's great year was last year, and so here we are with Auburn on a downswing, and the only reason that they're not in the LSU predicament is because, one, they beat LSU by 38 points. But, two, they got some lucky breaks in games they probably should have lost. This is not a good matchup for the Auburn Tigers. And the one real eye-opening loss in their, on their uh, year this year is at South Carolina. That was on the road. Auburn's a different team away from Jordan-Hare Stadium. And they're coming to Bryant-Denny. I'll be honest, this stacks up for a big Bama win – uh, come this time next week. Yeah, I mean that's a true. That's a very good point, Thomas. That uh, that the, that the uh, Auburn Tigers are different away from Jordan Air Stadium. To think that they lost to South Carolina is just mind numbing. Of course, uh, that was Bo Nix's worst game. I think he had three interceptions. Uh, did not take care of the football, uh, and they were able to. Uh, and they basically gave the game away in some form. But once again, you know they got outgained. Uh, defensively, I think they've gotten better, but I still don't think they're close to a lead. I don't think they're nearly as good as they were a year ago. Though the secondary has quietly surprised, but you make another really good point that they have not seen anything like the University of Alabama offense, which I still don't think has a discernible weakness. I mean, not having Jalen Waddle certainly uh, does hurt a little bit, and, uh, and it looks like Slade Bolden will – uh, you know, be a little banged up, but they've got other weapons. They've got uh, Jalil Billingsley, who you know will not attract any coverage, Thomas. Uh, no doubt about it. They will not. Uh, he 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 will not be a guy they're game planning for. So if if Sark continues to use a lot of two and three tight end sets, uh, Jalil Billingsley could have, be a factor in the game next week, much like he was against Kentucky. You know, he certainly could, Drew, and I apologize. I had to step away for a moment. But the that the thing about this Alabama attack is how does 
how does Sarkeesian choose to go at it? And is Steve Sarkeesian, to his eternal credit, I think he's got he's gotten a ton of juice out of this offensive this offensive group. Like he, I don't think he's had very many bad calls throughout the season. And with Jaleel Billingsley's sudden emergence, you know, you have to look for consistency. And you're absolutely right. How do you defend him, particularly if you're Auburn? You know, I don't think Auburn's linebackers don't blow me away. They just don't. And so it's, it's an, to me, it's an unsolvable problem for the Auburn Tigers. This assumes, of course, that Alabama doesn't put the tape in and watch the Tennessee game and just decide – we're going to go let Najee Harris and Brian Robinson go crazy because our offensive line can mash the Auburn front the same way that the Tennessee front mashed the Auburn front on a fairly consistent basis. So it's just, to me, it's a situation where I don't expect Alabama to get stopped very often. I think more than anything, they'll, if they'll stop themselves through potential turnovers. And again, that's not really a winning formula against Alabama. Like if your game plan going in is Mac Jones is going to throw five interceptions and that'll keep us in the game. I mean, if that's what you want your plan to be good luck with that, but you're probably just going to get yourselves beat. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I say, I, I've, I've been thinking about it. I mean, I know Alabama's a 24 point favorite. I've beginning to, I've been, I, I know I didn't quite pick them to cover against Kentucky and they easily did. With this game with Auburn, last year's defense, Alabama scored 45 points, and it was Mac Jones' first road start. Uh, and he threw the two picks, but he still threw for 335. I mean, I've got to believe that he's going to play well in this game. So I am going to pick Alabama decisively in the contest, probably along the lines of 45 to 21. I think Alabama's going to win the game uh, and march on. I, I certainly think Auburn will probably make a few plays. And even if Tank Bigsby is not 100%, I'm sure he'll be somewhat effective. But I think Alabama can force Bo Nix into some turnovers. They have to take into account his mobility because they have been using Bo, uh, you know, with, with his legs a little bit. But if I, I honestly want them to keep him in the pocket because I don't think he's a great pocket passer, and I do think he'll make mistakes. Uh, but I do think Alabama will force a couple of turnovers. I think uh, Najee Harris – I, I picked him to have a big game against Kentucky. That didn't happen, but a lot of that was they rested a lot of guys. I still think it, he got off to a slow start but really got rolling, and I agree with you, Thomas. Last year that they gave him 30 carries, he was tremendous. Uh, I don't know if he'll get that many in this game. May not need them, but certainly I think I'll be shocked if he doesn't go for over 100 against the Auburn Tigers. I think their front seven is suspect against the run. Alabama's going to be the best offensive line they've seen all year. But I think also Devontae Smith, uh, you know, uh, John Mechie, even though Mechie was really only targeted one time yesterday, scored a touchdown, he could be a factor. Uh, and then, like I said, these tight ends, Miller Forstall should be back, Jaleel Billingsley. I think they'll be able to push the ball, you know, down the field some. And I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see 300 yards and uh, multiple touchdowns out of Mac Jones. But I think this is a good matchup for Alabama. And I think Alabama will be super motivated to want to avenge that Iron Bowl loss. And then, again, to continue to put a stranglehold on, uh, you know, the Western Division of the SEC. But uh, I, I'm going to go back to William. William, what, what's your feel for this matchup, Alabama, against the Auburn Tigers in the, yet another Iron Bowl, this time in Tuscaloosa? Well, I'm pretty sure you just said 45 to 21. Yes, sir. Um, I, I, my, my, mine was going to be 48 to 21. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I agree with a lot of the stuff that you and Thomas said, I, you know, I, I was listening to, um, I, I guess the, I don't know if it was the third or the fourth quarter last night on my way home and, you know, even Stan White, um, you know, who might be the, the biggest Auburn apologist in the history of Auburn football <laughs> was, 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 bit, was bitching and complaining about you know, Bo Nix's inability to step up into the pocket, um, you know, even when they had the wit set on the pocket. And, uh, you, you know, I think that's something, you know, certainly that, that's going to be a, you know, a premium's going to be put on, you know, Christian Harris and Dylan Moses to kind of spy him a little bit and, 
you know, not let it turn into a situation where Bo Nix, you know, drops back, you know, looks to his first or second read. They're not there, and he just takes off and picks up seven or eight yards. Um, you know, they can't allow that to happen. But, you know, I think uh, – you know, I will disagree with you, Drew. I mean, the, the best offensive line in college football history, um, you know, beat Auburn earlier this year in the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, huge dose of sarcasm there. Um, but I, I, I do think that this is going to be a big, big uptick in competition for Auburn's defense. Um, they're, they don't have a Marlon Davidson. Um, you know, they don't have a, uh, you know, a co out there on the edge. Um, you know, they don't have a Derek Brown. You know, they've got some good, I think, front seven players. But, you know, with the loss of K.J. Britt, um, you know, with, with the departures early of Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson, that they're not as athletic as they were on their defensive line. So I think Alabama can probably – you know, have their way with them there. Well, that remains to be seen. We'll see it at, what, 2.30 on Saturday. But, um, you know, I I do think Alabama does have a chance to, uh, you know, blow the lid off this game on Saturday and, you know, maybe come out, you know, like in a 48-21 to type victory. Yeah, and I wanted to get you guys' thoughts. Uh, And before I do that, uh, Thomas – you said it's a bad matchup for Auburn. What is your prediction? Um, 52-17. I mean, I really – I think this Auburn team has gotten a whole lot of fortuitous bounces. And yeah, without those, it's just going to be trouble. And, again, a lot of this team – you know, remember, we're talk, we're talk, a lot of the Alabama team did lose last year in Jordan-Hare Stadium. And – it is a rivalry, so it's not like the sleepwalk through the first quarter thing that uh, some of the Alabama defense has kind of taken on before adjustments were made. I don't think that's going to be a situation. Yeah, Gus Malzahn will throw the kitchen sink at Alabama, and Schwartz might be able to blow the lid off the defense. But you know, the only way that will work is if he's in the slot, and uh, I'll take Malachi Moore against Schwartz all day. Now, I can't wait to see Pat Sertain and Seth Williams go at it because that's going to be a barroom brawl. But just overall, I got to be uh I got to be real real with you, Drew. It's such a bad matchup for the Auburn Tigers. It 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 just is. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah, and then I wanted to get you guys thoughts the last few minutes of the show. We finally saw uh, the second front runner for the Heisman Trophy in 2021 play last night. Certainly, the front runner will be DJ Uiagalele, and the second front, the number two, and you know, right behind him will be JT Daniels. Now that he's thrown for 400 yards in an SEC game in their struggle win against Mississippi State. Now, uh, I, I would be more concerned if I was Georgia the fact that. Uh, Mississippi State moved the football up and down the field uh, on that vaunted secondary brought to you by Western Union, uh, but they, but still, they and they weren't able to run the ball. But JT Daniels certainly looked like the real deal. Uh, too little, too late this season for Georgia. I thought it was interesting that JT Daniels after the game basically said, "I was cleared for Arkansas, but it was up to or after Arkansas, but it was up to." you know, coach after that to decide when to play me, and he waited this long. William, your thoughts on what <laughs> we saw in JT Daniels? Well, I'm more interested in your Western Union thoughts. Are you talking about Tyson Campbell? Yeah, Tyson Campbell and some other <laughs> young, young people in my, on that defense. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, and you won't ever hear me give a lot of credit to uh, Mike Leach because I don't think the guy's a – I mean, I think he's a great offensive mind, no doubt, but I don't think he's a head coach. But I give him credit for showing up with only 49 players that were cleared to play. Great um, point. You know, versus – yeah, ver- versus the, the, the greatest assembly of college football talent that, that the world's ever seen. Um, but, no, I mean, I – I think that, um, 
you know, you're seeing the same, you know, pomp and circumstance out of Athens, Georgia, that you've seen ever since Kirby took the job. I mean, it's a, you know, a rah-rah deal. Um, you know, we've got all this talent, even though we don't get the results. And, you know, if I was a Georgia football fan, you know, the, the thing that would really strike a chord with me is, you know, one year you got the best offensive line that college football's ever seen. You know, the next year it's, you know, the best, you know, front seven in college football. And, you know, start showing me the results. What are the results? Um, there, there's there's still no championships over there. Um, I, I personally am not sure. I'd have to sit down and put, you know, pen to paper and, and look at all the stats. If you're a Georgia football fan right now, I don't know if Kirby Smart's an upgrade over Mark Rick. I agree. And I could probably give you. I, I could probably give you a pretty, um, you know, good counter argument and debate that maybe he's not an upgrade. Mm-hmm. And then Thomas, your thoughts on what we saw out of the dogs? Um, it was a ball game on a team against a team that Alabama shut out three three weeks ago. And that team had like 49 scholarship players Mm -hmm. and installing an offense that outside of a game against LSU has been almost non-existent was suddenly existent against the best defense in the country pre banged up and injuries happen. But I, you know, so what I said it last week, I'll say it again. Congratulations. You found a quarterback. You can enjoy your, your trip to Shreveport, and then come next August, suddenly, you know, the, the Georgia offense is going to have a Joe Burrow, Mac Jones-esque transformation, and they're going to run the table and, you know, blah, 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 partridge in a pear tree, and we're going to be right back here, the same spot, 365 days from now, and the same stuff's going to happen. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't get it. I don't see it. And... I don't think Kirby Smart is that big an upgrade over Mark Richt. I, I think he's a downgrade in a lot of ways. And the only reason that he's been that Kirby Smart has been buttressed from a lot of criticism is that he's wrecking Tennessee. Well, okay, so what? You know, Mark Richt had to contend with a Tennessee team that had a pulse throughout most of his time, and Mark Richt had to contend with an Urban Meyer-led Florida team. And Florida, until Dan Mullen really got everything turned around this year, this year's kind of the culmination of his rebuild. So, I, you know, I don't see it. I, I don't get it. I, I, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't click with me. I think Kirby Smart has struggled immensely to replace lost coordinators or staff turnover. He hasn't gotten Nick Saban's Midas touch to just open up the Rolodex and find someone that helps. And frankly, I didn't see JT Daniels post-game press conference, but it sounded like JT Daniels just carpet bombed Kirby Smart and the coaching staff, which, yeah, I, you know, again, I didn't see it, but that was the impression that some people that saw it got. And let me put it to you this way. In what universe is Nick Saban ever going to get carpet bombed by his new starting quarterback? Uh, hell will freeze over before that happens. And that speaks to a culture in Athens that I don't think is very conducive to elite-level success, on top of the fact that, again, the SEC East is getting better. You know, Tennessee, Tennessee's still Tennessee, and until they, they break through, they haven't. But Florida's a legit program right now, and – that's that's going to be a problem. So I feel like Georgia's going to Georgia will be perennially overhyped until they actually deliver a, a a not rip your heart out SEC championship game or national championship game performance because that's really Georgia being Georgia has not changed from Mark Richt to Kirby Smart. Yeah, one, it really has. One one quick thought. Well, two quick thoughts from me. Uh, one thing that Kirby Smart isn't having to deal with that Mark Rick did, Mark Rick had to deal with a couple of 10 and 11 win seasons out of Steve Spurrier at South Carolina. Yeah. 
And if Jeremy Pruitt's ship does get sunk this year, it's going to get sunk because he hired Jim Chaney as his offensive coordinator. That's another great point, William. No doubt about it. Uh, that it, it, a lot, So much of it is not being able to Will Muschamp couldn't figure it out on offense. And let's understand with Mark Rick, he averaged 10 wins a year in 15 years. And when he was coaching in the SEC, the East was the best division, and Tennessee didn't suck. Tennessee stinks right. right now. And, uh, you know, and so, and, you know, South Carolina was okay. They weren't great, but certainly uh, he had a, a tougher road to go through in some ways than uh, Kirby Freeze, I mean, Smart did. So, going to be really <laughs> interesting, no doubt about it. Uh, but some great takes right there. And then, to close the show, your former teammate Dabo Sweeney eviscerating Florida State right now, basically calling them Old Yeller the sequel, saying they did not want to play yesterday as Clemson got off the plane. They were thirty something, they were thirty plus point underdogs, and saying that if they replay this game or just, if it's just a postponement, he wants them to have to come to Death Valley and play uh, because he, he is just really irritated right now with with uh, Florida State. And just look how far that program has fallen. You, you get to the point where you don't want to play because you're scared. I mean, Kentucky had no thoughts of canceling the Alabama game, even though they lost several starters to COVID. And then Mike Leach has a freshman, Will Rogers, at quarterback, hasn't played a lot. And as William said, only 49 players, and he still plays. That FSU program is a dumpster fire right now. It is, but... I wonder if Dabo would have the same thoughts on Notre Dame's program or Boston College programs, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, good way to end it. Well, well I actually wanted to bring something ahead, up. I'm sorry. This is this kind of this has kind of ground my gears as more of the college football playoff talk has spun up with the rankings coming up on Tuesday, and I think given something like that particularly in the case of like an Ohio State, which at max is going to have, I believe, seven games now plus a championship game, so eight, versus an Alabama or a Clemson or a Notre Dame that's going to have 10 or 11 max. If I ruled the world, here's what I'd want to see from the college football playoff committee. If you're comparing an Ohio State to an Alabama, the only games you compare are Alabama's best eight assuming they have the same win-loss. Like if it's 8-0 versus 10-0, you compare top eight losses, and the extra games can only be extra credit. If you're comparing an, Ohio, an undefeated Ohio State to a Texas A&M, you don't get a, you don't get a reprieve from the loss, but, get, but you get your eight best wins considered. It's unrealistic and it's unfair to essentially punish a team for playing the game. It's been something I've been on for years, and it's something I still believe because, again, and it's the example I cite every time I bring it up, Alabama wins the national championship if Sean Deion Hamilton is on the field for that last-second pick play against Clemson. Sean Deion Hamilton tore his ACL in a meaningless SEC championship game. Meaningless. Now, it wasn't meaningless to the players, but meaningless in the sense of Alabama was in the playoff no matter what at that point, given how the seasons had gone. So I really, as games get canceled, there's got to be some sort of transparent way because the last thing I want to hear um, the day they announce the picks is, well, based on the eye test, a team that's played seven games is, is far and away superior to Texas A&M, who's played 10 and lost against the number one team at home. Like that, that, that sort of logic just drives me up a wall. And uh, I will be on my soapbox until eternity on this point, Drew. But anyway, if you want to close this out, I just had to get that off my chest. Hey, no problem, man. We just we always want to bring people quality takes on this show. I think we've had a lot tonight. Well, we are wrapping up this Iron Bowl preview edition of uh, the uh, uh, BAMS radio. I do think that we're going to see a big game at Alabama offensively out of the big three of Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, and uh, Najee Harris. I think it's going to be a resounding win for Alabama uh, to go to 8-0. And then we'll see where the schedule goes from there. Are they going to uh, reschedule LSU for the week after and then go on uh, to, uh, to play Arkansas? We'll see uh, coming up. But certainly looking forward to the Iron Bowl on Saturday afternoon at 2.30. 
uh, on CBS in Tuscaloosa. For William Redfish Barger, for Thomas the Wizard Watts, I'm your host, Judy Arman. Those, uh, we, we always enjoy everyone joining us on BAMS Radio and giving us the great feedback. We love bringing you the Crimson Tide conversation. Everybody have a great rest of your weekend and roll tide.